In this episode, we're going to get some expert intel on what to look for when buying to renovate. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyer's agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. great way to get into the property market and add immediate value is to buy a fixer-upper. But not all renovations are a license to print money. And today we're going to learn some of the secrets to getting a renovation right with our special guest, Rebecca Morgan, no relation, uh, co-founder of the Build Her Collective. Now, Rebecca has worked for 14 years in construction management before becoming a developer herself and is passionate about sharing knowledge and experience both as a tutor at Swinburne University in Victoria and through her own courses and events run by the Build Her Collective. Now, she's very well equipped to help us understand what to look for and the pitfalls to avoid when buying to renovate. Wish I'd known you back in 1998, Rebecca. I've got so much to tell you about my renovations early on. <laughs> but before we get to that, we every episode, Megan sits there in front of some very weird and wonderful house. And today, what have you got? Oh, you'll love this one. This is the Hobbit House. So this is in Wales and it cost the builder or the the owner $5,200 to build and it took him four months with the help of his father-in-law. He's actually a photographer. So this was his dream to to build and photograph his own little hobbit house. So cute. Okay, at that price, did he do it in 1962? (laughs) Like how could you possibly... It's for anyone Rebecca, who's not surely watching. Surely there were some building approvals that were skipped over. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, he's dug it in the roots of an old tree. For anyone who's looking, I'm not sure I'd want to live in that house. <laughs> not for me. Not for me. Damn issues, Rebecca. Rebecca. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just going, yeah. A few issues on that, that one, but um, yeah. <laughs> it's nice, nice concept. <laughs> Welcome. We're really keen to gain an understanding of what it takes to build or renovate successfully. Can we kick off by tackling some of the biggest mistakes you've seen first home buyers make in this space? Yeah, so the biggest mistakes are not knowing what they're buying or thinking that everything will cost like a small amount of money. So there's a few things that um, we need to consider. When someone goes to buy their first house, often they'll they'll be priced out of the upper end of the market. So they're looking for that kind of 
smaller house or that house that they can live with that they're going to add value with over time. Yeah? Yeah. So true. Sometimes we go, all right, well, we've got a budget. Let's say our budget was mm, 400. I'm going to use a number, 400 to buy this house, wherever it is. And you're like, okay, well, if I buy something a bit cheaper, I'll still have that money to renovate if you can Mm -hmm. go under the budget. But that's not the way finance works. So one of the biggest mistakes we have is that people think that they'll be able to borrow to their capacity to be able to do the renovation. But once you've borrowed on that land, Mm. sorry. They'll get the extra cash in their hands to do something. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. You need to have the cash for the renovation separate to the cash you've got for the deposit and you still need to have the borrowing capacity to do to buy the house. So that complicates things a little bit. It just means that you need to be able to buy outright, have your deposit, your 20% or 10% if you're doing your LBRs, um, and then be able to fund the renovation, maybe over time, maybe all at once, but they're, they're two different things. I love the fact that you kicked off with that (laughs) as the biggest mistake because, you know, you could be tempted to go, oh, they buy a house with bad bones or they buy a house that, you know, the council won't let them do the renovation or whatever. But you've actually said the biggest mistake, and I see this too, we see this uh, as well, is that if you've got, you think your budget's 500,000, you think that includes renovating costs and it isn't because the banks don't love to lend money for renovations, particularly Mm -hmm. if you already owe a huge proportion, you know, you're in LVR territory. So, so I guess for most first home buyers, I guess what that does, you know, let's kick off here with the big elephant in the room, different podcast, but of course, but the same principle here is, <laughs> is that the biggest elephant in the room is that if you are a first home buyer and you think that you're going to be able to buy a renovator in order to be able to get into the market, and potentially in an area that you, you know, you want to live in long term, that you buy and you're going to be able to do the renovation straight away. And I yeah. guess that's something that nearly every single first home buyer, if they're priced out of a market, there's no way that they're going to be able to do that. So what can a first home buyer do if they are looking to actually buy and renovate to add value or to make it livable or to whatever? I mean, how should a first home buyer pre- approach this? So I agree. Like I don't mind the stretch strategy, right? I used it to get into the market when I started, um, you know, and did something over time. So it's kind of like buy something with good bones that you know you can do over time. You would probably want to keep a little bit of money aside to be able to get it livable, to be able to live there without um, really compromising. So that's, that's understanding that if you've got big issues like rising damp or structural issues or there's there's an aspect of it that's just not functioning let's say you don't have hot water um you know you will need the budget to be able to do that well you know i accidentally bought a house one time and look i knew i was knocking off the back of the house so i didn't actually consider the fact i I didn't kind of look at it because i wasn't but there was no like the toilet wasn't there it was like outside and not working I'm like, <laughs> and you're going to live in this while you're not. If I'm going to move into stuff. it, I've got to fix that problem. Um, but <laughs> Good tip. Look for the toilet. It's right. called, for the toilet. called but- a can-do attitude, that one. <laughs> oh, that's called um, seeing only what you're keeping and just removing everything else, not caring too much. Um, so I guess what you need to think about is what, what do you need as a budget to do it to a point where you can live in it and what can you then look at to stage that work over time because most of the time we're going to need 
almost like a master plan and we'll go okay we'll buy it now that's going to get us to this point and if we save and we we know or we're getting a whatever some money at some point in time we'll be able to do this set of works and then this set of works or maybe you're buying it and hoping that in five years time the value of the property's gone up and you can redraw that equity and then use that to renovate the property which is mm. an, an, a good strategy if the market keeps going up <laughs> but may not always work for you depending on what point of the cycle you are you are buying it might take you longer so yeah so that's basically what we what we want to see we want to kind of go in there we want to look at the house we want to see what it's going to look like on a day-to-day -day basis for us to live in it now what the simple repairs we can do and then what our long-term goals and plan is going to be and put kind of costing against that can I pick up on a point you just made there because it's a, it's such a big and important one is the master plan um, and it's really what you have to have in mind before you start spending any money on anything, isn't it? Because yeah. you can yeah. waste an awful lot of money doing little things if they're not part of the big picture yeah. or in the wrong order. And it's kind of transitioning that kind of what do I have to do to be in it for the moment and how long am I going to have to live with it like that versus... You know, a big one is, say, floor coverings, right? Mm. Um, you know, when you move into something that's pretty... Um, dated. Oh, do you might want to... <laughs> Rustic, dated, undesirable. Oh, um, You might want to take out, the, say, the carpet, right? And then you're going to be left with a, a point of view because ca carpet often is, like, it's pretty gross by that point. Mm. So you're going to want to remove that. And then what do you do? Do you put cheap carpet back in is that carpet going to last you long term are you going to be able to renovate or extend or move around the house um and then what if you're putting something in temporary and that's a five-year project or a three-year what how's that going to work in the interim so you know one of the things i've done in that situation is i've just gone okay well i'm i'm going to do the carpet in a year's time because i need to do a full renovation at the back but i need to live in it in the interim so I've just painted the floorboards just to give it a nice clean look. And it's kind of working out where that line, that tipping point of being able to live there, spending money on something that isn't part of the big picture and kind of, um, you know, planning and making those adjustments on the way through. I think, um, and I'd encourage all listeners to go back to our episode with Peter Mazia, the building inspector. Now, I keep saying this and I keep forgetting, is it episode 14 or something like that, Megan? Um, and the reason that I refer back to that episode is because when, I think I probably even talked about a, a property I bought <laughs> that he did an inspection for, for me about the floor. Um I'll let you go back and listen to that story. But the thing is that when you're buying a property, if you get, you need to get a really good building inspector to go through to give you some really good advice as to how durable or how lasting or what the condition is of some of these, these aspects of the property, don't you? Because some you can keep, if you're really lucky when you buy a property to renovate and if it's just dated and old and it's been well maintained, you get to keep a lot of the original structure. Whereas if it hasn't, you're going to have to replace a lot of it. And there's a massive amount of cost in sort of going back into the, the part of the building that you might be retaining if you have to redo bits, right? Well, we, we kind of see that as kind of a sunk cost on things you can't see. When you, when you renovate a house, you want to be able to see all the money you've spent. 
mm. um, in an ideal world. So if you're re- re-stumping and if you're replacing footings or you've got, you know, a roof to replace, all of that stuff that ultimately no one cares about. I mean, they, mm. they care that it's done, but they don't come in and go, wow, it's got a new roof. <laughs> or, wow, the roof keeps the rain out, you know. I'm like they're, they're, That's expected. It's, it's, um, but it's almost like cleaning. No one notices that you've cleaned the house, but they notice if you haven't cleaned it. It's exactly what it's like, right? Yeah. So that so that's the analogy of of stumps and 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 what, you know wiring and things that people can't see and don't really care about. They really only notice it when it isn't done, right? And then so then when you're renovating to kind of make a house nice or livable, you really want to be doing the things like a new kitchen or a bathroom mm-hmm. with beautiful tiles that you get to put your stamp on, and you can kind of work out what you want to spend on those tiles and whether that's a good fit for your value system. Um, so, yeah, building the inspector is super helpful. So what you're tapping into there, Rebecca, really is around the, and we haven't got to ask you this question, is how do you avoid overcapitalizing? And I guess that's really what you're tapping into, isn't it? If, if every dollar you spend on a renovation is making it look more beautiful and and like a much more appealing place, whereas as opposed to being hidden from sight, then there's there's a, a nugget of gold right there, right? Yeah, I think um, I think it's a really interesting way to kind of look at your build. Yeah, so you want to kind of go through and do a bit of a checklist and see what you're going to have to replace. So sometimes you'll look at a house and you'll go, oh, it's okay, and then when you really look at what you need to do, you need to pull out all the plaster, you need to pull out all, you know, replace all the weatherboards or you're replacing, let's say, a front window. That front window basically means that you need to replace the weatherboards all around the outside. You're going to have to replaster the inside. So you've got nothing left except for a frame that you're repla- you know, you're redoing. If the stumps are okay and the roof's okay, then that may be, you know, within the budget and maybe okay in terms of cost effective. But if the stumps and the roof need doing as well, like what have you got left? And so one of the problems we see is that people don't understand how much work is needed. So they'll pay over what they should for a house that actually needs to be fully gutted and fully replaced because it's kind of pretty or it's quaint. (laughs) Um, so sometimes uh, you know like if we look at a house for renovation we might go oh well let's look at something we're still going to have to do all that stuff we know we're going to have to do it because that's what a renovation is but let's look at something that's not pretty in the first instance that doesn't have that street appeal you know these beautiful little miners cottages and victorians they look really cute, but if you've got to replace everything, you're not left with a lot, but you're paying a lot for that, you know, that quaint or that cute look and feel. Really good. I mean, this is something you're based in inner Melbourne and obviously I'm based in inner Sydney. This is something that we come across a lot. And I imagine yep. even in a, a Queenslander. cute little Queenslanders are yeah. there too that haven't been loved for a long time. And, and once you start peeling back one, one weatherboard, you never know what's underneath that skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you know what you're looking for as well, you can get some real, um, really great pieces of gold. Sometimes those fibro-clad houses are fantastic because they've gone straight over the top of um, weatherboard, and so you can take that off and just paint up the weatherboard if you're very lucky and you know what you're looking for. 
<laughs> you want to be honest with getting under there and see what actually exists un- underneath. I bought a house in um, 2008 that they had done exactly that. They, they'd um, put fibro over the top of the weatherboards and then put a grey stucco. We called it the big grey elephant. Um, but once you peel it back, you know, the character was underneath. But, geez, it was an ugly duckling. Yeah. We see that a bit around where they've got faux brick and so it's it's effectively a masonite with this funny little fibre cement, I don't know, it was sprayed on or something to make it look like red brick. So in the 60s when the red brick bungalow was the, you know, the house that everybody wanted out in the suburbs and in the inner city you get these, these weatherboard cottages that were covered in this fake brick. And, yeah, I mean, if they're basically, you know, untouched, sometimes they're in great condition. But another one is floorboards that have been covered by carpet for years and years and years. And, and it's like you've got no guarantee as to what's under there until you actually rip it up. But sometimes you go, oh, my God, it's never seen the light of day, these boards, you know, <laughs> they've always yeah. been carpeted. Yeah, you can. There can be some gold there, but there can also be some um, big issues that you uncover when you pull it back yes, as well. Um, yeah, we have we have borers up here, and they can honeycomb those boards in without you even knowing. Yeah. So what? So if you're teaching, you know, in your course, because obviously you teach all sorts of things in in your website. What is a process that a first home buyer sort of really needs to follow in order to not fall into some of these pitfalls and, and mistakes that we've been talking about now? Yeah, so the biggest thing, the biggest question that comes back, and actually I'm sure it comes back to both of you as well, that people have is, oh, well, how much is it going to cost to renovate that? And mm. and it's a hard question because it's like, mm. well, I don't know because I don't know what you're planning in your head and I don't know how much work is in it and I don't know... Um, you know, whether you need gold-plated taps or you're happy with, you know, your Bunnings special. Um, And there's a big difference in each of these incremental values. So what we ask people to do is go into the house and travel through it making a list of everything that you need to change and replace, right? So go into the first bedroom, you know, hypothetically speaking, you've gone in the hallway. Hallway, do I need to replace the light fitting? Do I need to think about the switching? Am I going to have to replaster? Do I need to repaint? What are my floor coverings? And so by the time you make this list at the end, you've got a pretty good understanding of what needs to happen. And then you can start putting value against that. Um, Now, those values will probably be wrong. But the point is that you've put something against it and you've tried to allow for something and maybe you've looked up a rate on the internet or you've called an electrician and asked him, you know, how much does it cost to rewire a house? But you've kind of gone through Like we've got a checklist in the course, but you've gone through and you've, you've gone, okay, well, what can I do and when can I do it? And, you know, then you can start to stagger things and go, okay, well, I don't have to rewire now. I'll save that for when I do, you know, the master plan when I'm doing the back renovation. Or I do need to, re- or, you know, like I know the stumps are rolling, but do I have to do that now? If I'm not doing any fix-up work on the front, can I live with it like this for the minute? And so that'll start giving you a pretty good understanding of what you're going to have to spend just to move in and what you're going to have to spend otherwise. The other thing, and I'm sure you guys have templates for this too, is understanding all of the costs involved and that how much actual cash and money you are going to have left over at the end um because you'd be (laughs) i'm sure your listeners don't but a lot of people forget all those incidentals you know the moving costs and the the packing fees and the the conveyance and all those different things so we want to really kind of go through our spreadsheet understand how those costs add up 
what we've got available and then what we can achieve with that and what we can put off later. And it's it's a really good point because a lot of people do forget some of those little things, like you say, the removalists. So you're mm. going to borrow your mate's ute and um, and lose a few friendships through asking them to help you relocate. I did a relocation across the road once. Worst move I've ever done. It was the <laughs> hardest and longest move I've ever done. Interstate was much easier because, you know, you've got to pack everything into boxes. But um, th- those sorts of things, even you know, transfer fees that come on council rates down the track, um, mm-hmm. The fact that you will have a rates bill come in very soon after you move in probably and your utilities and so forth. So even those early living costs on that spreadsheet are, are really quite important because banks banks don't necessarily like to be asked to lend money to people who are doing their own renovations, do they? It's very challenging to it's get easy to go um, back to owner builder finance. So generally speaking, when people are looking to do owner builder finance, so that means that you are physically doing the work on the house. So let's say you've got plans done professionally and you'll still need to kind of go through the building permit process, but you've decided, you know, maybe you're, you're a carpenter and, you know, your partner's, you know, handy as well and you can both get in and do stuff and you've decided you want to build it. Banks do not like you. They'll go, I don't understand where these costs are coming from. And it'll cost you a lot more to borrow that money. So <laughs> it's kind of chicken and egg because it's like you'll save money, but they don't want to lend the money to you. But you've got to look at it from their point of view. You're really risky. How do they know that you have done that that work? How do you know how do they know that at the end of lending you that money, you're gonna have a, a finished house? Because let's face it, people run out of money in building renovations all the time. (laughs) So sometimes you've got to look at alternative options for that type of finance. Um, The best one really is to, you know, to draw it out of the equity um, would be my advice if there's any way you can do that. Or even if it's um, a family member that might be able to lend you that money, then you finish the renovation and then refinance to get that money back to pay that back. If you are lucky enough to be in that position, it's going to save you a lot of time and effort to kind of going through that that finance. With Good option, bank. actually, because um, if you can tap into, say, mum and dad's equity in their house um, and, and borrow that money and then refinance, that, that can be a pathway. And we actually have a specialist coming up on... Um, uh, it should be the next week or the week after the, the uh, podcast episode, who actually does the legal documentation around the lending between parents and 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 and, there's, and then their children or even siblings or so forth. So really, really good idea. Our our recommendation is certainly to make sure that you put that into a, a you know a legal kind of framework so mm. that everybody's on the same page. You know what's expected of everybody and and you know what your exit exit process is. So really good option to look at uh, um, other than the bank yeah I mean to do that you're going to need to know that after you're finished the you'll have the equity that you can redraw and you'll have the borrowing capacity or the earning capacity to be able to lend from a bank and have them approve you at that level Mm. so there's so many tricky little parts parts to this and I guess that's what makes it um hard when you're starting out you're just trying to get all this information and understand um where you're at 
It's a minefield, isn't it? Because, you know, and and this is the thing, it, it wasn't even until I started renovating that I even realised, oh, the bank just won't lend you the money. Like, I'm, but I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it better. Like, it's an investment. You know, what's the problem? Um, because, of course, you think about it, if the, if the house is somehow halfway through the build, it doesn't get finished for whatever reason, you, it's hard to sell a half-finished house. Mm-hmm. So the bank can't even turf you out and sell the thing. You know, like there's a real problem. Where, where do all the um, appliances and all the building materials get stored when they're actually being purchased and paid for? There's, there's a whole world of pain out there that if you wander into this unwittingly, you could easily get yourself, you know, really into some serious problems. But what um, when, when people renovate, often I think people just assume you can renovate every property. You know, they just think everything could be renovated. And clearly everything can't or shouldn't be. There's plenty of properties that I see that are renovated that, that probably should, they should have tried mm. to demolish if they could have. You know, yeah. and and another thing that, that I, I hear a lot, and a lot of people say, particularly in a rising market, it's challenging to buy into the market. They think, oh, it's going to be easier to buy something and knock it down and rebuild it instead of renovating. So what are the sort of things that people need to consider if they they get to that desperation to actually when they think that knocking down and rebuilding is easier than buying a, <laughs> a property to live in? But, you know, these are a whole different set of challenges, right, because you can't even live in it while you renovate it if you're knocking it mm-hmm. down. Well, that's one of the biggest challenges, like you want to knock it down and rebuild it, where are you going to go? So there's a few factors to consider. It's a lot easier in a lot of ways, depending on what you want to do, to to build a new house. You're not working with tying in existing framework with new, you don't have to underpin or kind of shore up that that original house and make sure that it's um, structurally fine or that you don't have any of these... um, you know, sewer or drainage issues that you might have with an original house. And I'm not trying mm. to scare people. I actually love renovating houses. <laughs> um, but some of these um, some of these things can be difficult to overcome um, on a house that you might buy that needs renovating. And, you know, a typical example of that would be um, a house that's maybe got concrete all the way around the outside and that concrete's kind of... Um, leading the water back under the house so you've got the Mm. runoff say 60 years the water's gone under and into the bottom of that house and basically it's created um a pit which like sinks so that soil is really laden and soggy and that groundwater's got nowhere to go so that type of house can be a lot easier to knock down depending on the condition because it's how do you fix that issue and as it settles it's going to crack everywhere so some of these things mean that that might be a good house to knock down access issues are another one you know if you're just keeping the front facade and everything else has to go like why are we keeping that front facade is there anything really worth retaining there or do we just kind of start with a clean slate um so the real thing that we look at when we look at a, a knockdown rebuild is a lot easier. It's easier for the people to quote, but it, sometimes it doesn't have that same look and feel that a renovated house might have. Mm. That kind of emotional draw is really important in um, retaining property value. Yeah. And people purchase from emotion. So the, the biggest kind of problem when you then go to resell that is how do people connect with that home do they just mm. see it as a new house with 
you know, something that they could do or something special. I'll give you an example, actually. It's funny because just this week I was doing a pricing exercise with a client. Um, Now, we had assisted this client with some work a number of years ago and they had actually knocked down and rebuilt their home rather than moving. They made that choice after sort of various analysis. We weren't involved in what they chose to do. Um, And so they needed to then have a uh, market appraisal of their finished product. So I was like, right, well, this is interesting because it's in an area where, you know, clearly it's not a conservation area, so you could knock it down for starters. And there were a number of other properties over the last few years. They did this in 2017, I think. And there are, so four years ago, so in that four-year period, there were a number of property, other properties that had been knocked down and rebuilt as well on sort of similar size box of lands and some that have been renovated instead. And it was a really interesting exercise to look at some of the recent sales to compare the premiums that buyers were paying for properties that had either been architecturally designed and had a real edge to them or renovated and they've retained and spent the money retaining the original facade uh, versus what these guys had actually done, which was they'd had an architect, but honestly it looked and felt like a project home. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why they paid an architect to end up with a product that looked and felt like a project home. And even though their property was really quite big compared to some of these other ones in terms of living space, had the same number of bedrooms, bathrooms and whatever, there, there were two in particular that in the whole scheme of things, they were that they sold for about five hundred thousand dollars more than I could envisage this house selling for, and one was a one of the architectural design with with a, a lot of real thought into the the finishes and a real interesting um, uh, building, and the other one was a renovated house that had really a lot of love and attention got into restoring the front as well as the modern the modern back. Same sort of land size, same sort of accommodation, generally speaking, you know, same parking, mm. all things else being equal, there was about half a million dollars difference in it between the ordinary house and the special house. And now, it may have cost that much more, but we don't know to build that. But I think that's cost. right. Mm. People are connecting. So they mm. want the space to be just right, not massive. Right. Mm. That's not more. Most people don't have the brief of I need a massive house because if a room's too big, it doesn't feel um, warm or inviting. Mm. Right? No so one knows how to furnish it. I don't want to. Ha- I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. And there's been some examples of that around here. We use a case study, a similar thing. Um, and so, and then that love and attention. But you don't have to build huge. You just need to build something nice and kind of really Functional. think about what connects. Mm. Um, and that that love and attention that you'd notice that they put in, you can feel that mm. straight away. Mm. Yeah. Guys, it also sort of feeds into, you know, we harp on about this quite a bit, and that's that scarcity factor. And I know that you you look at this yourself when you're looking at properties. And and mm. if everybody's sort of knocking down houses, and and let's put a let's put a, a little bit of a disclaimer around this, you cannot knock down every house in every city. Absolutely. So you need to be really careful in your asset selection. That if that is your strategy and that is your desire, you need to make the appropriate investigations to make sure you can knock that house down. For example, in Brisbane, properties built before a certain date with certain zoning and certain character overlays, you cannot just you cannot knock them down. You can't move them. You can't take away most of the roof line. So you're actually stuck with the roof line, not just the facade. 
So it's really important to know what you can and can't do with the property before you enter into a knockdown and rebuild strategy. But Veronica, it almost seems like what was lacking there with um, your client's property and what they'd done was the scarcity factor, that that um, that thing that people look at and say, I haven't seen anything quite like this before because I could go and reproduce that myself on another piece of land in another street. So it's that thing that is not easily reproduced and has some scarcity, but has been done really, really well and has that functionality and that livability and the flow and, and the feeling. Because um, a new house can have an, an amazingly warm feeling if it's done really well. Mm. It can. In fact, I just was looking at just this week at a, a new house in an, in an older area that's not, um, you know, it's a complying development area, right? So as long as they fulfill the the requirements laid out by council, they don't actually need to submit a DA. And it looked impressive. The photos are amazing. Yeah. But what really got me, <laughs> uh, what really got and I'm laughing only because they had this Maserati in the garage and they apparently for the open houses, and I went in on an appointment, apparently the open houses, they pull this Maserati out and put it out the front. <laughs> Just like really. They're trying to attract a certain demographic there. And, yeah, really? and what's so funny though, and I was talking to my client about it because inside they've spent a, quite a lot of money on finishes inside that are quite nice and, and like, and I have to say this is one that I had never even heard of, which is fingerprintless um, joinery. Yeah. So you've probably come across this. I I only renovated two years ago. I bloody wish I'd known about this thing. I tell you, because I'm constantly, <laughs> constantly. It's, a, it's a new a new product out. But yeah, yeah, crazy. <laughs> it's pretty nice, you know. No fingerprints on your cupboards. It's pretty nice. pretty special in the kitchen. Yeah, and As a mother of two young boys, I'd love that. Absolutely. I just obviously I'd spend my whole time on a little emio cloth wiping off fingerprints. But you know, I do sound a bit anal. I'm not that anal. But anyway, so they have gone to the attention of all the the new whiz bang stuff, and they're outside. <laughs> They've got, they've done the meanest little bit of landscaping. It's like miserable. And, you know, they've even got, they've got a pool out there and they've done nothing to sort of enclose the pool equipment. It's it's really, really mean. And then, then they're just letting it go green while during the open houses. And it's like all the money's been spent on the inside of the house, not the outside. But um, anyway, the I just. The makes a massive difference. We just did a, um, so we've, we've, got two houses which we're developing at the moment they are knockdown rebuilds there was nothing that could be done for the original house they're side by side what was there was two massive townhouses fairly um devoid of nice features and the floor plan was fairly average so we actually reduced the footprint and made two really nice houses we got an architecturally designed different roof lines considered the light considered energy rating um but we put a pool in the back of one and we put an outdoor area in the back of the other because we don't know which one's going to go better. So I've just surveyed people on Instagram. It's still being built. Um, you know, it's this very reliable survey. Data coming in hot right now. <laughs> like, um, and very timely. <laughs> right? I know. I'm like, which one? Um, but the pool actually rated less than the fully finished outside area but really? i think that normally the pool goes higher right but they're what they're picturing is a pool versus a clump of grass or a patch of grass mm. but i 
that connection to the outside and really carrying it through some houses and you'd see this all the time the backyard or the outdoor or the living spaces they've been developed well and they've grown in over time yeah and that garden and that feeling that kind of microclimate that happens people love that because it it feels amazing and so that extra attention that's really easy to do with time so if you're a first home buyer you're kind of going well how do i add value to this house consider all the elements consider what you want to see when you're coming home to the house consider how you want to live in it and feel in it and that flow but maybe put some of those structural elements in early as well if you've got trees that need to grow over a period of time to kind of block flats and you've got time Pop them in because those things don't cost much, but they pay off in spades. And that oh. comes back to the master plan, doesn't it? Because if you know where those trees are going to go before you do any other work, yep. you can put them in the right place. But if you don't have the master plan, you could actually put them in the wrong place. Mm. And there's a waste mm-hmm. of money and time. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true, though, because gardens, you can't, replicate an established garden without Mm. spending a lot of money established plants cost a fortune little tiny ones don't cost much at all and and you've got the benefit of time so from a first home buyer's uh perspective that's a, a fantastic you know a fantastic tip flippers obviously need to go and spend money on established um plants and so this this was a flipper building the house i was just telling you about and they've scrimped on that they, they spent money on the maserati that they've put out there for the open houses <laughs> and no money on and you know and like look, all around it's a goldfish bowl this house let, let me tell you because they haven't actually put any plant there's no there's not a tree on the on the site and um you know all the neighbors can stare straight in so and what i would say to anybody quite often in fact i bought a few houses recently for clients where there has been a privacy issue from neighbors and i said look move in and plant bamboo not that spreading stuff the nice clumping stuff but like just put a bamboo hedge in and make sure it's got plenty of water and it's got loads of foliage you will be amazed at how that just you know that becomes invisible Mm, once you've done that and you've immediately added value because that's a detractor for other people right now and i know you can mask it and, you know, yeah. I've done it myself. Well, there's actually a block of flats behind my house. And I've, I've had my house designed, so the house blocks it now. But, you know, I always looked at that and went, look, there's no way I'd build it, that house the way you would normally build a block uh, on a block because then everyone would be staring into my backyard. So I changed it. I changed the orientation of the house. So that now yeah. I've got a, a second story blocking that and we actually, the outdoor is oriented to the north. You know, there's things that you can do. Um, that was an expensive Overcoming way. issues, right? So, I mean, same here. I've got a big block of flats there, but we're kind of curved two stories into a courtyard garden in the front. Um, and it's it's how you overcome those issues. So issues you can't overcome, you need to be careful of. Mm-hmm. Main roads, you will buy at a discount to buy on a main road, but you'll when you sell, even if you add the best renovation in the world, you're selling at a discount. So you need to consider kind of those things. You you know, first-time buyers often can't afford to buy the best, you know, the best street or the best pocket. So that's something. But flats you can overcome. Overlooking you can overcome. Um, orientation is an interesting one as well. So north-facing backyards is what we look for in Melbourne, Sydney. Um, same in Queensland. So we want that light. Um, but 
if you get something with a south facing backyard what can you do to kind of bulk up that ceiling or add light or add maybe clustery windows or change the way that house kind of works so you can um so so you basically you know like eat that frog for someone else solve the problem for someone else and that can really help we've bought houses on actually all different orientations and we work with them but you need to be smart or clever with your design and you need to understand and this is the difference between a good designer and maybe an average designer it's not as much as going oh i like that floor plan Boop, there mm. we go it's on that mm. house it's more kind of well how does the light work where am i going to get warmth and um how do i flow in this this home and kind of bringing that into your design where are you you know, what are your view lines? You know, how do you transition off the street? How do you overcome or really work with it? And if you can do that and you can kind of invest a little bit of time noticing every house you go in, how is it oriented? Where do I look? What do I like about the way this feels? You can start to add that back to your house and it doesn't cost any extra. It's just a little bit of thought and preparation. Such a good point. And the that other thing too- so important because you can you, turn a Western rear into a Northern orientation. If you live in your home before you renovate it, you are much more likely to be able to make good decisions around that than yeah. if you buy it and thinking you're going to renovate it before moving in. So in a mm. way, well, we're talking about first-time buyers doing this gradually over time because, you know, you're probably not going to be able to afford to buy it and do everything that needs to be done straight up. That's one of the absolute benefits because you do get to understand how the sun comes in, you know, where what you're looking out from a certain window and what you can plant out there. You know, you can, you, you can actually control the outlook from a lot of your windows by what you plant in your own garden. Um, and so, and, and I often do go through properties and I think to myself, these people have lived in it before they renovated it because you just, you just get the sense that everything has been considered. So, you know, uh, yeah, I get excited about those sorts of things. And, and even when I do go into a, a south-facing house where the garden faces south, beware of what real estate agents <laughs> call a north-facing house. Often they're referring to the front of the house. There's no benefit in having the front of your house face north. <laughs> so, And I'll go in and I'll see that they've got those pop-up windows or they've, they've got a, like a, a skillion roof with some highlight windows that, that bring in the northern light. They're, you know, there's those little touches that if you're not paying attention to them, you won't even question how that's happened. But when you sort of go in these houses and notice this stuff, you think, ah, oh, I could do that, you know, so they can give you some ideas. Yeah, it's really about being observant. So you're right. So living in it gives you all these tips and tricks beforehand. Um, another way is to be experienced at it and kind of do the research. It's very hard to know what you should be looking at before you, you go down this process. And let's be honest, it costs a lot of money to to build and renovate. And, you know, to save for that on top of buying the house is is pretty hefty. So you want to do it right. You want to invest the time and effort into reading and understanding listening to you know these podcasts and others making sure that that you can kind of maximize every move that you make because so it's so easy just to go oh it's fine i'll just pick these tiles and i'll pop them in that's fine but really understanding why you're choosing something is important i think i remember you know one of my biggest lessons when i bought my first renovator is and, and you know it's something i wish i knew back then i i didn't know what i didn't know Mm. And that 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 sort of permeates across a lot of property areas. You don't know what you don't know until you start looking 
for the people who do know what you don't know and who have probably made the mistakes that you want to avoid. Um, so, Rebecca, can you sort of talk us through, um, if you're going to do a lot of this work yourself, and, and there are some states where you can do a lot of work without getting an owner-builder's licence, there are other states where you can't, you have to have an owner-builder's licence above, say, mm. in Queensland, it's $3,300 worth of work, which is not much. Think of about think about a paint job. Um, mm. What what parts would you recommend that people always engage with a professional versus things that if they skill themselves up, they could probably do on their own? Yeah, look, I think it depends on the people and what you're doing. It's very, it's very, um, so people, some people can tile and they can do that effectively. Um other people will try that same thing and just it won't work. So you really need to, um, before you kind of go, okay, well, that trade's achievable and that trade's not achievable, kind of have a pretty good look at yourself and, and have a think about what your attention to detail is and and know that people will know if it's a DIY job. So if at any point you do it and it looks a little bit like, you know, a year 10 project, then you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> That's basically the outcome. There are cost-effective ways to do some of this stuff. You know, like joinery is an expensive one. You can buy ready-made things. Um, you, you can really kind of select the materials and the finishes and budget. I guess I, you know, everything that needs to be compliance is really important to do properly. So that's our electrical, it's our plumbing, um, waterproofing. Mm. Now, waterproofing is an easy one to do, right? We're just going to roll that membrane on, you know, that paint on, and we're going to put the membrane around the corner. Except if it goes wrong and it didn't work, then it's a very hard thing to fix because often by the time you've worked out that it has failed, you've got a leak, and that could be the next owner of the house, and they could come back and chase you. Mm. Um, and you will be obliged to pay for the rectification of that if you can do it yourself or someone else does it. So think about things that need compliance and really, you know, pay attention to doing them properly or getting the right trades in to do them would be my my top tip there. And, I think and when you watch areas, The Block, yeah. which, is, which is a really dangerous show for anybody who wants to renovate to watch, I think, because it gives you the idea that you can do everything yourself. But even in The Block, really, it's only the painting that they do themselves, isn't it? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's darling. It is, and um, as I understand it, there's a fairly big defect list. The painting's an interesting one, though, because whilst you can paint yourself, um, sometimes, and yes, that saves money, but sometimes if you're not a very good painter, the paint is the first thing that you see mm. on the wall. So if you're not going to do it well, maybe just don't because you put all the effort into building this place up and then you've got this crappy paint job and you're seeing the crappy paint job, you just assume everything else is also um, less than ideal. I say that and I have um, about five half-completed paint jobs around my house. <laughs> <laughs> Plumber's oh. house has always got leaky taps and the electrician's house has got no lights at work and they walk around with torches. But just on those two, they're probably, and you, you touched on it, there are certain things that you just cannot do as a home a, a home builder um, mm -hmm. and it's really important to know what those things are before you touch anything so electricals plumbing things that have compliance requirements and need licensed professionals mm -hmm. really, they're a no-go zone aren't they yeah they really are 
Now, you have a number of resources on your website um, and, and of course, even, of course, um, and (laughs) it's not, we didn't get you unnecessary to plug your course, but we're more than happy (laughs) to share uh, the links to your courses and to the resources. And I know you've got a, you've actually got a, um, a budgeting tool, don't you? For people yeah we do we've got a budgeting tool in our resources section so you'll go over um be able to do that so it goes through kind of the cost of staying in a home and the cost of moving and renovating spreadsheets really handy mm-hmm. we've also got a feasibility template on there as well so that'll give you kind of an area where you can put each trade and what it's going to cost and and what all the components of the builds are so that one's actually seven dollars. It's pretty expensive. Oh no, but, that um, makes our, our our little workshop our tutorials look expensive. We charge thirty nine <laughs> for our little tutorials. <laughs> nothing, nothing. Um, but you really should kind of get them to understand that what you're doing is going to make sense long term as well. So it's one thing to buy something to get into the market to fix it up over time. It's another thing to buy it and hope. When we do buy things, our capital wants to be working for us. So we want it to grow over time, regardless of whether it's our own home or something we intend to flip. Um, I don't know. I think actually that's your opinion as well. But, Mm -hmm. you know, all our investments should be good investments. We don't want to buy something that then kind of decreases in value. Mm -hmm. We're all about growing our family wealth. So that feasibility template is really handy we've also got an owner builder if you are looking to own a build we've got a little webinar on there that you can jump on and kind of these are things you need to think about when you're owner building and you know you it is said that you can save 30 percent, or you can probably save up to 30 percent owner building but you can actually overspend by way more than hiring a builder if you don't do it right so (laughs) it's never as simple as oh i will save money by doing this I know. Um, I love that, that, you know, it's funny because, um, and I'm not sure I told the story about my most recent um, build on this podcast, but, you know, my builder tells me that I'm the best client they've ever had. And part of the reason I'm the best client they ever had, not just because it's me and my dolls at charms, but because I made all the decisions in the planning phase and I made a commitment to not change my mind on anything. And nothing. You changed nothing. Nothing. The entire way through. I did not change. I, I, there were some suggestions that were made to me, which I I moved with, and some of them I took on, some of them I didn't. But I did not change a design decision or a, or a finished decision or anything throughout the entire um, process, right? You and are a good woman. There you go. See, I was so disciplined, but also because I've renovated twice before and I can see where the cost blowouts come. So, you know, when you talk about you can save all this money by doing an owner-builder, well, if you're indecisive or you don't know what order to do things, you do something and then realise you need to do something else before you do just that, whatever you did, mm-hmm. you are going to spend heaps of money redoing things that you got out of order or you're going to actually faff about and stuff up and and cost yourself a lot because because you change and or because you miss out on getting a trade in at the right time because basically the window of opportunity is closed or all that sort of stuff so you know i love this idea of this false the false economy you're doing it yourself if you really want to get your hands dirty though what a great way to do it Yeah, yeah, I mean, the idea of make sure you don't get things out of order, and that's what I love about it. It's it's actually putting structure and process. And we're we're very process, you know, we're systematic, Mm. step by step. Do it in the right order when you're buying your asset, and 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 you're all about making sure that people do each part of this renovation process in the right order, starting right back at the planning phase. 
Yeah, the planning phase. You know what? Most people think that they're starting when they get their permit. Like the design and the plan <laughs> starts way before that. And it's not as simple as just going and getting a designer. You've got to choose the right designer. You know, your clients before that had the house that was, um, you know, they'd spent money on an architect, mm. but that architect could not deliver. Now, my guess would be they'd be able to pick that up in the planning phase and they shouldn't have hired that designer. Ultimately, it's up to you to engage all of your consultants. It's up to you to get the work done in whatever format you want to do it. So you're in complete control. So you can't actually ever pass a block and say, oh, well, that happened to me. It's really been informed enough to be able to make those decisions. And, you know, what works well for me isn't going to work well for you. It's, you know, Megan, it's not going to work well for you, Veronica. It's not like it's never going to be the same process for different people. We like different things. We live in different areas. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't tell you, go get always go get an architect, always go get this type of builder. It's just not the right fit. You need to decide and choose your own adventure, as it might be, that fits with your budget and your values um, and the time frame that you're working with. Sounds very much like the way we recommend people go approach the process of buying a property in the mm -hmm. first place. There's no, yep. it is choose your own adventure in many ways. And it's like, if you can learn from those who have um, done it before and, and successfully, and also who have expertise then, and, and, and understand the process, but making your own unique decisions every step of the way. Uh, we do have a, a final question for you, Rebecca, which is a question we love a guest to tell us. And that is, what is the one thing that you know now that you wish that you knew as a first home buyer? Uh, I guess probably the finance aspect of it would be when I started, um, I was very lucky that it was in a rising market, but I probably did things that I wouldn't do now, if that makes sense. So yeah. like our first, um, we did a few smaller renovations, but our first family home as such um, took us a really long time to renovate because we had to kind of, you know, I remember at one point we had, we could we could pay for the insulation. This is not how to build, by the way. Definitely <laughs> not how to build. I'm not recommending this. Um, we could pay, you know, we, we got the frame up and we got the roof on and we put the insulation on, but we didn't quite have enough money to buy the weatherboards until the next <laughs> You know, and I'm like, and that's kind of one of those things. Like we were doing it as we were, you know, we were going to work during the day and we were saving enough money to do. But if I had have understood the finance packet of it a bit better and understood redrawing equity or sourcing money, how to, how to budget, what things are going to cost, I probably wouldn't have been, you know, it was fun. I was quite a lot younger than I am now. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't have been in this that same position. What right. did you do? <laughs> I mean, you, you oh, mean, it just, like, we just, we just built just as we could afford it. Like, no, we no. could afford to do the, the kind of, the, the larger part of it. Yeah. But we just had to do things over time. So we knew we weren't going to be able to afford to, um, to put the kitchen in. So we had kind of like these, Ikea benches and I had a couple of trestle tables and a piece of um, particle flooring and a tablecloth that I'd have to wash all the tablecloths because <laughs> every night because I didn't have a <laughs> bench. didn't have a bench top. <laughs> I'm curious about the insulation without the weatherboard. So <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> just a matter of flapping in the breeze. Right? Oh, so right. 
foil wrap so it's, that water, it's waterproof yeah it's got fine. it <laughs> it wasn't long but we had to you know you're staggering the build as to mm. what you can afford yeah well i think what you're doing is awesome um helping people understand what the process is helping them step through it you know my biggest learning in my first renovation is you put the termite barrier down before the slab <gasps> yeah take that one with you <laughs> <laughs> tricky <laughs> some of of these things like if you get them out of the wrong like out of order they're Mm. very tricky to fix and they cost Mm. a lot of money oh god yeah Uh, one thing that i learned in my first build was that the architect designs and then the builder builds and then if you don't have a conduit between the two the builder has to interpret the architect's plans Mm. and i had no idea and this builder was really proud of himself because had this sort of strange roof line in the front bedroom of this this house and there was a skylight and whatever and and he was really proud of himself for having you know reconciled you know how how all the plastering went and everything and all the angles and i i was just totally blasé and i'm fairly certain i lost some brownie points with that builder because i wasn't suitably impressed and it took me a while to get oh so that detailing that i didn't understand i was talked about you know that word detailing um mm. and i'd probably cut a cost uh at some point in some of those drawings that weren't fully detailed right and so therefore i left i was lucky i had a builder who was actually had some skill around this area because god knows what i could have ended up with and lucky that it worked out well for you because sometimes, <laughs> mm. like, don't ask trades what they like because you don't know what their design opinion is. Like, <laughs> you know, and this is, I see a lot of people do this all the time. They'll go to the tiler, oh, what do you think? I'm like, um, yeah, I'm not sure he's the one that you want dictating how this is going to turn <laughs> out. You probably want to control that yourself from the beginning and kind of have a clear vision of where you want to go. <laughs> Very true. Thank you so much for your time, Rebecca. It's been really valuable and um, I'm sure our listeners will agree. And as I said, we're going to share some links to the resources that you have and, uh, yeah, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having us on. It's been um, amazing and it's a minefield to get into Mm -hmm. um, buying your first home and it feels more and more unachievable. So I think it's great that you guys have set up a resource to help people through that and kind of juggle some of those challenges wonderful thanks rebecca in this episode we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers if you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake then head over to our website www.homebuyeracademy.com.au don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode and if you like what you've heard today please give us an itunes review five stars would be wonderful it will help others find us as well thank you for joining us we hope you found this really useful and if you have please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat we'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff